Welcome back in everyone to a fantastic new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a very excited interview lined up for you today. Joining us, we have the executive director of the Clemente Soto Velez Cultural Center, Libertad Guerrera. And she is here today to talk to us not only about the cultural center, but also about incredible groundbreaking that's happened, as well as to fill us in about a wonderful celebration that just happened, the Three Kings Day celebration. So we've got some wonderful topics on deck for you. But the important thing that we're really excited to share with you is this amazing cultural center that's here in New York. We can't wait to share with you all the incredible things that they do. So let's go ahead and welcome on our guest today, Libertad Guerrera. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for having us and giving us this platform to share about this. Thank you for joining us. I am so excited to to explore all the things Clemente Soto Velez Cultural Center. Like this is exciting. The minute the press release hit our email, I immediately was like, what can we do? Because the things that you all are doing are incredible. And this groundbreaking with this fun that you've gotten is amazing. But I first want to start with the event what, well, one of the events that just happened this weekend, which is the Three Kings Day celebration, because I'm not sure how many of our listeners are aware about this. And this is a great, great community event. So could you start by telling us a little bit about this, the Three Kings Day celebration? Yes, it's going on. Our celebration of it is going on the, its 23rd year. The Clemente is a hub. It, so much happens here. We used to be an old public school building, and we'll talk more about that. But for the last 23 years, we've been celebrating Three Kings Day, and a very important tradition in the Latino community. But I think it should be a symbol for anyone that just cares about wisdom, the three wise men, you know, <laughs> and different cultures coming together, that's what they represent. They were from the Orient, from the East, different types of, of countries. And what they symbolize, whether you're religious or not, is like coming together, following a star, believing in something that can unite us. And it's a tradition that many in the Latino community and its diasporas have been losing, but it's important that we keep on celebrating it for, for what it means and for coming together. Uh, celebrating Latinidad, but also in, in, in its diasporic context in New York City, which is also a Latino city, you know, keeping that alive. And in Lower Manhattan, it's one of the largest celebrations that happen in Lower Manhattan. There's another big one that our friends at the El Museo del Barrio celebrate, Uptown. And we always make sure that we never overlap. So they do theirs in the morning and we do ours in the afternoon. <laughs> And in, in our case, ours involves because we host theater organizations that who's, who focus a lot on puppetry. Our, our component always includes giant puppets. We start always with a procession around the block with giant nativity thematically related puppetries and kings. And we also always have like guest kings and queens that wear like the regalia <laughs> of, of of, of that and and in this case because it coincided with 
with another celebration that we decided to to celebrate this time uh, about the break ground break grounding to uh, renovations to our center. We had the borough president Mark Levine, ex borough president Gail Brewer, the council members that represent our district, uh, Chris Marte, Marte, and others were the the honorary kings and queens that participated all in the in the procession and and the activities. That is so awesome. What an event to get to take in. And I love that there's a second one uptown that like you work in tandem with. So you could literally go uptown, do that celebration, take the train, come downtown and do that celebrate. That's so awesome. And it's it's a party as well, because after that procession, we go into our venue, our theater, and it's live music. We make sure that we are, it's holistic in terms of all the Latino traditions. You know, Latinx doesn't mean one thing. It's not Mexican or Puerto Rican or like, so we always make a point of bringing a plena band, making bringing a mariachi band. We give food. There's always free gifts for thousands of gifts for, for children. That's another big, important component of it. So that's part of the preparation that we undergo is like receiving all these toys donations to give forward to kids from and families from from our community. And by the way, I have to say that we co-produced this with Teatro Sea, which is one of our resident theater organizations in, in, in our building. Love that. So you mentioned this was the 23rd year of doing this celebration. What was it like developing this this year? So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very logistics when you're, when you're dealing with guests, with all the, 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 the run of show of getting so many families, you know, thousands of different families, and we don't have that capacity in our theater. So we, you have to really work with how do we do crowd control and, and having people pass it. So that's why the procession is such an important component because there's no capacity there. It's all, it's also figuring out the, this is more a procession stuff. So we always have a live brass band and then working with different puppeteers that will be handling the puppets through the procession. So that's in terms of production that theatrical productions that's what this event really mostly entails and then the other part is just event management of the large crowds and, and all of that and the the ceremony itself and the speakers and all of that that is a tall order to fill but it sounds like you've got it nailed down <laughs> like a science now yes and this is actually one of our our less common complicated production type of annual signature events that we do at the Clemente. <laughs> we do have other way more complex uh, festivals that we have per year that we can talk about later, but the Clemente does have very signature festivals that it always does in co-production with other resident uh, theaters that we have. That's amazing. Now, I, I love how you keep bringing up the, the fact that this is a Latinx celebration and, and very much Latinx centered. So I'm curious for our listeners, is there a message or a thought that you hope people take away from the celebration? As I was saying, maybe one more, more expansive about keeping your traditions despite being, you know, being a diasporic community. Obviously, many of, of, of Latinos in New York are third, fourth generation. They're New Yorkers. But it's it's nice to to keep that that link to traditions that maybe you're 
your you know forebearers had in their own countries or at least even if you never knew them as they they're celebrated in your in your you know countries of origin how new york itself is one of those you know latino hubs of 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 so many traditions and it's welcoming to everyone i mean we do this in the lower east side where there's big jewish communities and and asian american communities and they're all welcome to come and 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 receive toys if if they if, if they so wish and that's that's part of the spirit the the three wise men or three wise kings again they symbolize a wisdom of unity i think that's something that we <laughs> badly need nowadays that the world needs and and just respecting of differences re regardless of religion and culture i think that's what they symbolize whether you celebrate this tradition in your family or not that is a wonderful message and so well put i love that and i think that idea of unity and coming together exists so well in the Lower East Side. I love that. That's part of the ethos of why this cultural center was founded 30 years ago. We we're on our 30th anniversary. And it was a time where Latino artistic production wasn't being taken seriously. So a lot of cultural activists and this school was abandoned. You know, it was that time in New York where there was a lot of disinvestment. So cultural activists from Puerto Rican and Dominican and, and even from Uruguay came together and said, let's do a hub that is multidisciplinary, that is centering Latino arts, but at the same time, not in isolation of what the Lower East Side is and what the immigrant spirit in general is. So we do, we are inclusive of, of so many traditions and um disciplinary genres, but at the same time, also always holding that center of Puerto Rican Latino founding ethos and those communities, but not in isolation of everything else. That is fabulous and a great transition to my next topic, which of course is the Clemente Soto Velez Cultural Center. I want to talk now about this place that you've, you run, you're the executive director. Can you tell us a bit about it? What what all what happens here? What what exists here? So yes, we're very we are stewarders. We steward this uh, publicly owned building, which was a public school founded in 1893, <laughs> and. 30 years ago, as I just mentioned, became a cultural center. It was very scrappy at the beginning. It's a big ecosystem because we're 100,000 square feet. Within it, we have two galleries, we have four theaters, and we have more than 40 artist studios, which used to be the, the classrooms. So we benefit at subs very subsidized rates, about 12 to 13 small arts organizations about more than 75 visual or visual artists, but artists of all kinds. They could be music and different kinds of artists in the studios at subsidized rates. Plus the programming that we constantly have that we co-produce with different partners or that the, the resident organizations produce themselves. And we also work with independent cultural producers external to us and ac giving access points to subsidized venues to, to, for example, we host here the annual River to River Festival, components of it every, every summer. And we, we work with a lot of external organizations and independent producers to try to make their, their productions a reality through accessible rates. That is amazing. I didn't realize how big of a footprint you had here in the city 
I mean, I think a lot of our listeners who are here in New York recognize things such as the River to River Festival. And that's amazing. So what kind of festivals do you all do? You you had mentioned previously when we were talking off the air, you know, that you have a giant puppet festival and things like that. What kind of other things does the center provide? So some of our signature festivals going, there's another one called Body Mix Festival. So Body Mix is celebrated every November because it's a Puerto Rican heritage month. We always take a different theme each year. It, 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 it lasts for a whole month and we collaborate with so many other organizations and it has obviously always a visual arts component. We always have a host country. So it's called Body Mix because we are paying homage to other Latino countries in the diaspora. So last year we were celebrating the mixture of of Puerto Rican culture with Uruguayan, that was the host country. And so the visual arts component had artists from Uruguay, candombe bands, which is a very Afro-Uruguayan musical style. We had different types of performances, screenings. So it's a, a a month full of events mostly within our center, but also outside of the city with other collaborators. Not not outside of the city, I'm saying, you know, throughout the city with other collaborators. This is always done in co-production with our two resident theater companies, Teatro Latea, which I, uh, and Teatro Sea, which I've mentioned a lot. Another big festival that we have, this one is so complex that we can only do that, do it every two years, is the International Puppet Fringe Festival. So we just had it last summer and it was an amazing success. We were surprised to see that we made it to the highbrow <laughs> highbrow and excellent matrix of New York Magazine <laughs> for for us being such an indie event. You know, it's been it's there's been only three editions and it's it starts by an open call to puppetry troops. It's a very family-friendly event, but as you might understand, puppetry is not a a genre just for kids. Puppetry is for everyone. There could be really, really uh, puppetry that is just meant for adults. So the International Puppet Fringe is this coming of a lot of international troops that get selected based on their application to the open call that happens. And then also mixing it with the local, you know, New York and the Lower East Side has a long tradition of puppetry arts. And this takes place five days of you choosing more than 40 shows that you can, you know, you can see five in a day if you want it. And it's five days of intense, all types of puppetry. And because we are a full ecosystem with so many spaces, you know, you could like the the center becomes like this full blown (laughs) puppetry extravaganza. It's like other New Yorkers that take over. And we also start with a big festival that with all this puppetry from the world over. It's a really, really fun event that everybody loves. And it's just kids, adults. It's five days of just constant joy. And you get to see really from the very avant-garde puppetry productions to to more kid-friendly style stuff. That sounds amazing. We always make sure that in our festivals, not only are they always very accessible in terms of affordability, but also many of its components are actually totally free. So so that's that's a big part of of, of our 
are the importance that we give to access, access in different in different forms, access in terms of uh, cultural background, ethnicity, affordability, and that's maybe I'm putting it ahead of maybe this is a question that you'll ask, but the project that we that we broke ground on had to do with access as well of another kind. Well, again, you you are nailing these transitions for me because I want to <laughs> switch now and I want to talk about this groundbreaking that happened on Saturday the 6th. Can you tell us a little bit about it? This was a big deal. I know. Oh, my God. It's like, I don't know how we've survived and, and, and to tell you the truth that it's finally happened because it's been like nine years in the making. Even it started before I, I joined in as, as, the, as the ED here. It's been an effort to make the building, the historic building, fully accessible, ADA compliant in technical parlance. And we, you know, I don't know how many of you have gone to, you know, really old antique school buildings. This used to be PS61, but everything is stairs. And we're here hosting not only theater productions in second floors and, and sometimes third floors, and we have micro, micro theater, so it happens everywhere, but also artists, visual artists with all their equipment and all of that, not to even speak of, of our audiences. So people with disabilities could, could only come up to the first floor. Then, you know, they couldn't come to the theaters in the second floor. El elderly people. And also in terms of just the facility to be able to operate as staff and artists. So this this renovation that, that the city has supported us on, it's uh, it came to the cost of $13 million. And it's to bring badly needed renovations to start bringing this historic jewel of a building up to code, the first one being ADA compliance. So one of the biggest things that it will entail is an elevator. <laughs> That's why I'm talking about stairs <laughs> so much. It's an elevator and as well as, you know, expanding our galleries, our corridors, making the, the, the bathrooms ADA compliant, bringing some renovations also to one of our, our main theaters. So we're really, really, really excited to get this going. It's been nine years in the making. <laughs> It's been a relay race between past administrations and, and me bringing it to the to the tail end with my team here. That is amazing. I am so happy to hear about that because you nailed it on the head. A lot of these older theaters, particularly down in downtown theater, these older off and off off Broadway theaters, you've nailed it. Like they're, it's hard to get them to be ADA compliant because they are so old. But it's the price tag that comes along with it. And I kind of want to ask, you know, how did this exciting groundbreaking come together? How did you get here? What was the process? So the process was, first of all, making sure that it would indeed happen, because in the past projections, you know, had would have thought that the that the that the construction would have begin begun, you know, even pre-COVID, like, but then COVID hit. Everything gets delays, price escalations to everything. Old buildings, you never know what you, you'll get on the foundations of it. Just just count, countless things that it's not really the reason that I came into this line of work, but I, you know, you know that you have to make it happen. You have to get your hands dirty if you want to have the magic of it. But this is the the other component of it. So 
Also, the fact that because the, the Clemente is on, on a city-owned building that belongs to the Department of Cultural Affairs. So I think there was the responsibility of city officials that support our mission to say, like, this is an investment, not just in the Clemente's mission, but also in one of our own assets, you know, because this is a, a publicly owned building and facility. But it's still... Re, uh, you know, involves a lot of rounds of funding from city officials and all of that. And we love having to go through city officials for funding to that. That's the easiest thing in the world. I know. <laughs> well, thank goodness that we have a lot of cred because of our mission and because of what we've done for 30 years, even though we're not the, you know, we're not, we're not Broadway. We're not, we're not out there. Thank goodness for shows like yours, but any, any indie artist, regardless of, of what genre, visual arts, theater, performance, musician, they know of the Clemente, they've been downtown. They know of how many platforms we all offer and access points we offer. And if you believe in the vibrancy of arts and in the spirit of the downtown and the East Village or whatever you call it, Loisaida, you know, you know that the Clemente is an essential vitamin to keep that going. I myself, before I ever imagined that I would be wearing the hat of ED. I myself, during my time as a indie producer and curator, depended on places like the Clemente and the Clemente itself to produce a lot of my concoctions <laughs> back in the day. So it's always very gratifying to learn from all walks of lives of people that you say, oh, I remember when I saw this thing there, or, oh, this played such a vital role at this point in my life of, of artists that have made it big and things like that. So that's that's what keeps us going. I love that. That is, I don't want to call it a sales pitch, but it's just a brilliant <laughs> mission statement. Brilliant of that. And that leads to my final question for this first part with all this incredible work that you're doing, this amazing renovation coming to the Clemente Center. Who do you hope have access to your works and coming up to your center as you get these repairs made? In a nutshell, everyone. The Clemente is for everyone. But I do think that this particularly will enhance those people that with physical disabilities that couldn't make it past our first floor. So that's definitely a big kudos to accessibility in, in the physical sense. So that is an important aspect of it. But, but as I was saying before, the fact that maybe there were artists and productions that we wanted to make in the past, but like the, the physical strain of not, you know, of, of not of mobility within the building was a, 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 a burden. So that will, you know, expand our, our range of possibilities of the types of productions we can have, the, the diversity of audiences that we can, you know, host, et cetera. But it, it's, it's everyone. <laughs> gears because for the second half of our interview we love giving our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit more on a personal level pull the curtain back if you will and i want to start by asking you you know what or who inspire you 
we are a theater-based podcast. So we tend to ask, you know, what shows, playwrights, composers have inspired you in the past or some of your favorites, but with such diversity that gets put on at the center, whether it be visual artists or what have you, just in general, Libertad, what or who inspires you? A little bit theater related. I do have particular to theater memories because my father, I, I grew up in Puerto Rico and my father and stepmother, she was like a type of I, I guess Judy Dench dame of, of theater in Puerto Rico. So she was my stepmother. So when I was growing up and I would go with my father and, and backstage hangouts and see the rehearsals of big productions that they would do over there. So it was kind of, I was always in like behind the scenes type of scene. And, and maybe that played a, a subconscious role of where I would end up later, even though what I studied was anthropology. <laughs> but like the theater aspect of it always had this, this big sense since I was young. But my, my favorite role as, as a theater worker, even though I'm not a producer of, of, of I'm a co-producer always, but I'm not like a thespian artistic producer of, of, of theater. It's just as a supporter and as, again, uh, as, as giving space, organizing and advocating for it, advocating for equity in, in for Latino and POC productions. That being said, the most important part for me, you could say, is, and the most satisfying is the jobs, knowing that I'm helping some folks earn their living, telling stories, impersonating characters, kindling our imaginations. I think that this is probably one of the oldest and most honorable works there could ever be. Being able to support that really makes me feel like I'm I'm earning good karma, supporting actors, not soldiers, plays, not weapons, vibrancy of our city, accessibility, and, and a sense of ownership that we can all own arts and culture, and it's not this elitist realm. That is a wonderful answer. I love that. I want to ask you, I know as an executive director and with the groundbreaking and with the Three Kings Day celebration, I'm sure you have just been incredibly busy, but have you seen any great shows or art lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? You, yes. I, my answer is yes. But one of the paradoxes of having this job is that you're so focused on the back end of things I'm producing, you get a lot of invitations to so many things, but you're always like so full cap on. And it's like, it's like you're taunting me with so many stuff that I didn't have access to before, but now I don't have the time. <laughs> so that's frustrating to tell you the, to say the least, that is very frustrating, but I still get to sometimes see behind the scenes stuff. Um, and even if it's not happening here, the, the, and results of the productions, we do, as I mentioned, support artists through giving residencies for the development of, of, of whether it's plays or performances that would happen somewhere else. I Before I say two shows that really impacted me recently uh, in, in, in late 2023, I want to mention the ongoing role of our resident theaters like Teatro Sea. They are constantly doing productions, bilingual productions for young audiences and cabaret nights and different things like that. So kudos to them. Uh, they're, they're constantly a machine of producing things 
And likewise to Teatro Latea, which is our other theater company that is always hosting and also producing original events. One of the recent place that blew my head off. She happens to have been in, in residency here, and she still is, is an artist called Alice Tatarski, and it was called Sad Boys in Harpy Land, and it just ended, but it blew my mind. <laughs> it was so good, and I'm glad that we played a role in having it incubated, and she's still in residency here through other projects as well. So that was just very old-timey, carny, slapstick, depressive, deep, funny. It reminded me of Cervantes, even though even though she didn't necessarily base it on that. But since seeing it, I have actually come across three people at different parties, one in the street talking about that show. And it was a very indie show. So that's the impact that it had on you. I also wanted to mention another one that we played a role in, in letting them rehearse here. And it was Rebecca Martinez and Julian Mesri adaptation of Shakespeare Comedy of Errors. And they put it on at the public theater, but their unit mobile they asked us for space to rehearse. And the great thing about that was that they took it into public spaces all throughout the city before actually mounting it inside the public theater. Again, it was a, a Spanglish Latino version of Shakespeare Comedy of Errors. Julian is an amazing composer and he makes all types of genres of Latino music from telenovela style to indie rock and espanol. And it was a, a, a great, a great production, truly. That is amazing. I love the fingerprints that the Clementine Center has all over the New York theater scene. That's wonderful. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes it's things that are, we still have our fingerprints, even if it's not, you know, related to us uh, above the line, because in some way or form, people depended on our ecosystem to make something happen and, um, and have it develop. Yeah. So we're, I like to think of, of ourselves as like, the 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 seeds under the soil we're not the most known but, but if you don't have that soil and that those seeds happening you know a lot of things don't take place amen i am excited now to ask my favorite question for guests and that is what is your favorite theater memory I think I went a little bit there in talking about my youth with my father going to like old you know, just the rehearsals. I just go in with him and the rehearsals and then uh, like doing the thread of, oh, once it's put in, uh, in front of the scenes. Oh, I remember when I saw that and they were working through that in rehearsals. So that more as a, as, as a youth, like in my teens, that, that was always really exciting, uh, seeing the behind the scenes and the, you know, in front of people. But just recently, just uh, like, like as, as I was able to say, the, the camaraderie in the Puppet Fringe Festival, International Puppet Fringe, so many people from different countries, five days in a row, all together in one place. It was like a conference, but like just so funny. And like the things that happen in between plays and all the people that you meet and and just, you know, through this form of puppetry, but that it was it's so much more. So I, I have to say that it's one of my favorite times of year. We, we, we come out depleted because it's such a big production. That's why it can only happen biannually, but we're so looking forward to it because it's just so much fun, the, uh, the International Puppet Fringe. 
That is amazing. I love those memories. That is amazing. And I'm now so excited for next year as we head into 2025 for the next iteration of the International Fringe Puppet Festival. That's, oh, that's great. Are there any productions or projects coming down the pipeline that the Clemente Center has or that you have that we might be able to plug for you? Thank you. Thank you for that. So we, as the Clemente, we're probably going to reduce our roller coaster scope because of construction. But since we're such a huge building and the construction doesn't have an impact in all, all of our premises, I'm glad to say that our two main theater, resident theater companies, will still be in operating. And I want to plug for Teatro La Latea. They have an upcoming four-day run from of your faithful reader is called it's from february 1st to the 4th and it's it's a mix of 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 choreography and acting and the concept is as i remember that participants send letters to the producers and suggestions of letter that they might write to people and you know of, of life as it's at its hardest points or most beautiful moments, whatever it is. And then they adapt those letters in a responsive way through choreography and acting. So it, it's like, it has two stages where you can be, you know, you can you can share those letters and then come see them enacted through, through those genres. And that's going to be happening at Latea. We are also prepping in, in collaboration with Latea to the MLK. ML, it comes from MLK, Martin Luther King Celebration. And it's a festival that, that we do with them celebrating Afro-Latino legacies and traditions so it's uh, from screenings to visual arts to jazz it's a five-day festival or in february late february around that and i also wanted to plug for teatro sea our other theater company they will have a micro theater coming soon that is i don't know if you know the concept of micro theater it's like 15 minute plays and you have a menu and you choose, it's $5 each and you choose what's on the menu for you. And then you go to different points within our building. Some of them are in little theaters. Some of them can be in in weird spots in the building, like a stairwell or, or something like that. And you, you do, you know, you have your micro theater experience and they also have nights of cabarets ongoing that will happen. And they will also have their, on Saturdays, they have their bilingual theater for youth every Saturday. And some of the plays that they put together are Cesar Chavez and the Migrants. So it's educational experiences, Frida Kahlo, Pura Belpre, Journey. So that will still be happening. So I hope that you can, you can find more of the details of, of all this stuff within our website. And also through our website, you could get to their own websites, Teatro Sea and Teatro Latea, but the clementecenter.org. Perfect. And that is a beautiful lead into my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about any of the great works happening at the Clemente Soto Velez Cultural Center or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? You mentioned the website, the clementecenter.org. Are there any other ways to reach out? Definitely. If you want to reach out to us to propose something, a collaboration or or maybe hosting uh, our hosting of, of, of an event, uh, you could write to us at info at the clementacenter.org. 
And also you can explore our website because we have different tabs, spaces, et cetera, that you can learn more about. And obviously our calendar there. You can learn about our whole ecosystem within our website, both from the artists in residency here and as well as the organizations as well. Wonderful. Well, Libertad, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and share not only the Three Kings Day Festival, but the incredible work that you do at the center and the exciting news around these amazing renovations happening. So thank you so much for your time today. So they're slated for 2025, crossing fingers, it all remains within the time scope. And we're so looking forward to open back up with a bang, even though we're not gonna be closed. But thank you so much for this opportunity, this platform, and hope that part of that expansion of access includes your audiences as well. Uh, I truly hope so. What a wonderful place for our audience to explore. So thank you very much. Thank you. My guest today has been Libertad Guerrera, who is the executive director of the Clemente Soto Velez Cultural Center. It's located at 107 Suffolk Street, and you can get more information and help support the center by visiting the clementecenter.org. You can also send them an email if you're interested in renting space, producing a show, or you got a great show idea, whatever you may have, or if you just want to say hey at info at theclementecenter.org. But this is an incredible cultural center right here in New York. They do everything from theater to visual art to art galleries. I mean, it's amazing. And it's right there in the Lower East Side at 107 Suffolk Street. They've got a wonderful new renovation happening. So don't let the construction scare you off. They're still open, but they're producing some wonderful productions, some great festivals coming down the line this this year. They've got some wonderful theater companies and residents. So head over to their website, theclementecenter.org. Check out their calendar. Make sure you take in a show there. Support this wonderful organization, the Clemente Soto Velez Cultural Center. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.